I'm always tempted to leave the microphone off and just tease the sound man by saying, can you hear me? Can you hear me? But I'm not going to do that. Excellent. I may need that. Well, good morning. Welcome to those of you here that have braved the ice storm. I got to tell you, it was treacherous outside my house this morning. Um, driveway was just so coated. I couldn't get enough grip to actually scrape the windows because I was afraid my feet would shoot up. So it's been an interesting uh, type of thing when it rains and then the ground is so cold that it freezes. It would be a very, very dangerous thing. So God's blessings on those of you that have braved that. Come out here. Uh, the parking lot looks a little bit like uh, closing time at a tavern with cars parked at different angles. I'm kidding. But the ice has made it kind of slippery and difficult to park, too, so be careful when you're leaving. May I am blessed for the opportunity to share this with you guys this morning. I believe God has given me a, a message that, uh, that he wants us all to hear. So if you're watching on uh, video, YouTube, or whatever, uh, welcome also. Let's pray before I begin. Heavenly Father, we invite your Holy Spirit, Lord, right now, to be present in this room. You're already here. You've been here. We thank you for your presence, Lord. I selfishly pray for your anointing this morning, Lord. May the words I speak be the words you want heard, Father God. May our ears be open to hear, whether we're watching at home or on a phone or wherever, Father God. We pray that your spirit break through, that you guide and direct, and that we are changed, Lord, and we embrace who you are and the awesome relationship we have available to us through Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So, have you noticed how some Christians just seem to experience a much closer intimacy with God than others? Have you... Like, uh, you hear stories about like twins, twin brothers or twin sisters, how they can even be like separated apart, but they kind of know what the other one's thinking and stuff. And, um, like, a, or a really close friend who knows what you're thinking or, or whose emotions you can almost get, you know what their reaction is going to be because there's such intimacy in the relationship. So connected. Sometimes words are even optional. Um, have you noticed that some Christians seem to have that with God? That, that there's a, familiar, a familiarity with God uh, that for some of us is foreign. Some of us notice it uh, um, and, and wonder, how is it? How do they get that? Why are they in that spot? Are they favorites? I remember a t-shirt I saw many years ago that said, uh, uh, the front of it says, Jesus loves me, and the back of it says, but I'm his favorite. So does God play in favorites? No, God's Word tells us that there is no favoritism in God. Do you think that those folks that are closer, that enjoy more intimacy, are more qualified? Did they somehow become uh, more qualified? Did they learn the secrets to discover how to reach a higher level of intimacy? Are there secret steps to become God's favorite? You can sign up for my online, online course of Seven Secrets to Greater Intimacy with God. It's a $9.95 value. It's $47 before midnight. Just click the box below. I'm kidding. That's not it. Just kidding. 
So this morning, uh, I want to share a little bit. In the 50s and 60s, John Oswald Sanders was general director of the Overseas Missionary Fellowship. Back then, it was known the China Inland Mission. Hudson Taylor started that in the late 1800s. Um, but uh, Mr. Sanders authored, uh, Dr. Sanders, I believe, actually, authored many, many Christian books um, and was a worldwide conference speaker until his death in 1992. And I've borrowed heavily this morning from an essay he wrote on four circles of intimacy with God. Now, I've updated it, I've kind of vineyardized it and collogied it and messed it around enough to um, probably really mess it up. But you're going to hear it this morning anyway. So here we go. Both the Bible and Christian experience do teach us that it is we, not God, who determines the degree of intimacy we enjoy with Him. That's why I can say you're as close to God as you want to be. True, there are times when we are all like to experience a deeper intimacy with God, but when it comes right down to it, we're not prepared to pay the price. The conditions are tough. The conditions we need to meet are more stringent and exacting than perhaps we're prepared to accept. So we settle for less, demanding a level of, of intimacy that's a little more separated, perhaps, yet yearning to be closer. And just like any relationship, there's a price we pay to enjoy deeper intimacy, right? We cry for Emmanuel, God with us in the traumas and hardships of our life, but does our soul pant for him as a deer pants for water? David says that. In, well, not David. The sons of Korah said that in Psalm 42. Are we longing for intimacy with God? Do you want intimacy with the Father as much as you want a third season of the Mandalorian? Everything in our Christian life and service flows from our relationship with God. Everything. If we're not in a vital fellowship with him, connected to him, everything else is kind of out of focus, isn't it? When our communication with him is close and real, just like your communication with your spouse or close friends or, or, or family members, when it's close and real, it's possible to experience a tremendous growing intimacy. Well, in both the Old and New Testament, there are examples or degrees of intimacy or levels of intimacy that God's people can experience. In the Old Testament, it's Moses and the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, uh, we think of Jesus and the disciples. In each case, the growing intimacy arises out of a deepening revelation of the divine character. You know, really, so many prophets today are talking about a new revelation of the Holy Spirit's presence, of a, a new level of blessing that's to be released upon the church. Dr. J. Elder Cummings states that in almost every case, the beginning of new blessing is a new revelation of the character of God. Of the character of God. A more beautiful, more wondrous, more precious revelation of the character of God. This was certainly true in the case of Moses, right? Several times God summoned Moses up Mount Sinai to have fellowship with him. Twice, those conferences lasted for 40 days. One of those times, the people of the nation were actually associated with them. And in that, we're going to look at that this morning, we see four levels of intimacy that developed. Now, the outer circle 
Um, if we see this in Exodus 19, verses 11 and 12. So this is just about as the law is about to be given. It happens in the next chapter. God told Moses to prepare the nation for this manifestation. Get ready. It's going to happen on Mount Sinai. They would be able to see him visibly. But there were limits. There were limits that they were not supposed to pass. The verse says, Be sure they are ready on the third day, for on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai as all the people watch. Now mark off a boundary all around the mountain. Warn the people, be careful. Do not go up on the mountain or even touch its boundary. Anyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put to death. So the people could approach the mountain, but they couldn't go up on it. Under pain of death. Pretty severe penalty, right? So barriers were actually erected to keep them at a distance from God. Only Moses, it says in Exodus 24, is allowed to come near to the Lord. The others must not come near, and none of the other people are allowed to climb up the mountain with him. So that's the first circle. Now the next level, point that out, the first circle. They know God's coming. They're told they're going to see him, but they can't get close to him. You might have friends kind of in that circle. They know God's there. They see, they know that you're going to go up and be close to them. They can't quite get to that. They can't quite get to that circle. The next circle, level two intimacy, is when Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. Tells us that in Exodus uh, 24.9. They behold God and they ate and drank. It's, how cool is this, right? Dinner with God? I mean, have you had some really great dinners with people? You're really connected over some pretty cool meals. And here, they're invited to dinner with God. He eats and drinks with them. You know, that happens a lot. We see a very big emphasis on God eating and meeting with people. There's a connection there. It's, it's beyond spiritual. In the Hebrew mind, it was, a, it was a big indicator that this is a real being. This is not a ghost or an image or an apparition. This is a supernatural God coming to spend time with you. So that group, they got to go past the barriers that excluded the rest of the nation. They had a little more intimate vision of God than those people. They saw amazing things. It says, under his feet, there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the sky itself. They had a limited vision of God's transcendence. They saw some of that glory. They must have felt a very real and conscious sense of God's presence. Their experience was way in advance of those that were outside the barrier, but they had no lasting effect or transformation, right? Only a short time later, they're gathering up their gold and jewelry and melting it down, making a, a big golden calf. Totally lost it. They had a vision of God, but showed they weren't qualified to ascend to the top of the mountain into deeper fellowship with God. Like so many of us today, do we know folks like that? And I'm talking to Christians. I'm talking to believers. We know people today that are desiring and chasing after signs and wonders, miraculous healings, prophetic words, demonic deliverances. 
But like the elders on, on the side of Mount Sinai were awed, perhaps even a little afraid, but we don't want to press into the works of the kingdom of God. We don't want to sacrifice the time or perhaps the status or the label of being one of those folks or pride or reputation or whatever God requires of you, requires of them to be able to move into that. There are lots of level of people that are happy to watch from a distance. I think much of the church is full of that today. I certainly know that my Facebook feed is full of it. Be careful around those folks. Be careful around them. Especially if they start collecting funds and jewelry like they're going to make another cat. Many of them do. That brings us to the next circle of intimacy, level three. Um, again, in Exodus 24. So Moses and his assistant Joshua set out. And Moses climbed up the mountain of God. Moses told the elders, stay here and wait. Stay here and wait for us until we come back. So you can imagine how the numbers dwindled as the road up gets a little steeper, right? Of all of Israel, only two people were qualified to go to this level of intimacy. Only two people are invited to this. What was Joshua's special qualification for that privilege? Well, we're given a clue to that in Exodus 33, 10 and 11. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp. But the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, he would remain behind in the tent of meeting. So that tent of meeting, that was where the Shekinah glory of God would, would, would reside, where God manifested himself to his people. He'd come there, talk, talk with Moses, leave again. And Joshua would not depart from the tent. As Moses' servant, Joshua would obviously have stuff he had to do, right? Errands he had to run, tasks he had to complete. But when he was done, he would make his way back the tent. Joshua just wanted to hang out where God was, where the Spirit was, where he saw him move, where he saw him affect, other, affect Moses, to be in that presence. Even when that presence had, had departed, he wanted to be there. Do you know anyone like that? you know anyone who, who, who just want to hang out where the Spirit's moving? Even after the service, you've been in one of those conferences where God's Spirit moves so much, and, and I'll tell you, pastors know that some people just don't want to leave. We almost have to kick them out. It's like a bartender at closing time. you got to go! Because they just don't want to leave. Because they've felt that. They want to be near that. You couldn't get enough. Do you remember those times? Have you been in those times? Do you miss them? I do. I miss them and I desperately want them back. I want to desire God like that. Like that deer pants the water, life giving water, longing water, recognizing it's more important than anything else. Joshua wanted to be where God showed himself. He would have been present on many occasions when the Lord spoke to Moses face to face. So Joshua enjoyed an intimacy with God and excelled. 
a, a level of intimacy that was probably only met or exceeded by Moses. Although he fell short of Moses' relationship or Moses' intimacy, he seemed to have a greater level of it than any of his contemporaries. So you see where this is going, right? Finally, we reach the inner circle, level four. In Exodus 24, 15, then Moses climbed up the mountain and the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord settled down on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from inside the cloud. Can you sense the awe and excitement? The sense of, uh, 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 of maybe even intrepidation. To the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, the glory of the Lord appeared on the summit like a consuming fire. God is a consuming fire. The people in the outer circle saw only the consuming fire and they feared. But Moses saw in it the glory of God and he worshiped. Worshiped. That's what we were doing here just a few minutes ago. Worshiping. He experienced a deepening intimacy of communion with God. Exodus 33.11 says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. Numbers 12 tells us, uh, With him I speak mouth to mouth. What could be more intimate? Friend to friend, face to face, mouth to mouth. You know that really, right? It's not a weird phrase. You've ever had somebody hold both sides of your face, look right into your eyes, hold, pull your head close and say, this is really important. I'm sharing a really deep thing with you. This is me. Moses had that with God. Is there any parallel to that in our experience? Moses connected with God, beginning to see his perspective. And in that perspective, in that closeness, Moses was daring enough to make this request in verse 13. Let me know thy ways. Let me know thy ways. He desired to know his friend's principles of action, to share his purposes. You see, God opened his heart to Moses, and he revealed something of his own inner nature to Moses. Yes, this is who I am. After that whole golden calf thing, you know, when God wants to wipe out the entire nation and tells Moses, I'll get you a new group. Moses' unselfish love for his people, his intercession on their behalf, his willingness to sacrifice his place, his privileged position in order for them to grow, that came out of a growing intimacy with God, because he knew God's character so well, that's what allowed him. That's what it was. It, it's 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 knowing God that much, and allowed him to make that unselfish request. Blot out me, take me there. Paul echoes the same thing in Romans nine, right? Better that my name be blotted out than these, my brothers. Don't know you as I have known you. Moses' level four inner circle of intimacy led to a surpassing revelation of God's glory. Communion with God kindled in Moses 
an intense desire to know him even better. I pray thee, show me thy glory with this request in Exodus 33, 18. God's answer gave him and us an insight into the nature of God. And this is cool. And this is so right. I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. And you will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I'm sorry. And this is God speaking. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sins, yet by no means leaves the guilty unpunished. Tend to forget that part a lot too today, don't we? But it's interesting. This description of God, not pretty, not Oh, so beautiful. Oh, golden locks of none of that. No, look, it's these characteristics, the character of God, the compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sin, yet by no means leaves the guilty unpunished. And again, that's the important part. Because who God is, is all those things, but included with all that compassion and grace and love and forgiveness is the fact that sin must go punished, his judgment. He is just. Every sin has to be settled. Whether it was stealing pens from the office, or killing hundreds as a serial murderer. They all have to be paid for. And it's a price that can be paid for by yourself, in eternity in hell, or we can appropriate what Jesus did for us on the cross. See, that's the key, friends. We're not all going to meet on the mountain someday. It's knowing that Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, died, rose again, and sits at God's right hand. We appropriate what he did for us. Fully God holy man. That's what gets us there. The sin is punished, but he took the punishment for me. God's goodness and glory are enshrined in his name, in his moral character. It's who he is. Moses did not see the full glory of God in its unveiled effulgence, only the afterglow that he felt. He, he, he couldn't have handled seeing God in all that splendor. God hit him covered him. You, got, you can look at my back as I pass by. Otherwise, you'll be overwhelmed. You can read that yourself in Exodus 33. Now, the really cool thing you'll notice, and your friends will notice, is that when you have that level of intimacy with God, it rubs off on you, just like it did in Moses. In Exodus 34, 29, when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. Now today it's not so much a physical change, though sometimes it can be. I remember bumping into people I hadn't seen for a while, 
After I came to Christ, uh, I had I came to Christ out of a, a number of different things. I've shared my testimony before. Um, I'd been in college. I dropped out. I was selling drugs. And I almost went to prison for a long time. But one of the things is I started growing in Christ, and after God delivered me from that 30-year jail sentence, I went back to the college that I attended in the 70s. I went back to repeat some of the classes that I got absent because I withdrew. And I saw and met some of those people that I knew on campus back then. Only now I was walking with Jesus. And looking back, I so enjoy that some of them could tell, without hearing me say anything, without talking to me at all, just as I entered a room, that I was different, that I had been changed. You've probably had experiences like that. I don't think I'm unique. I remember one guy, Bonnie, would say, you know, I always feel closer to God whenever you're in the room. Oh, man, I'd love to hear that another hundred times this month. Not because I desire it for the praise, but because I want to be that close. I want to be that much in God's presence. I want to be on that level for inner circle intimacy with God. So if you were living in Old Testament times, which group would you be? Would you be in the crowd outside the boundaries? Would you be the 74 elders? I got to go up a little bit and see a little bit closer those powerful works of God. Would you be the two? Would you get to be like Joshua, hang out with a guy who knew God really well? Or would you be the one? Be the one. I feel like I should call you Neil. No, you should be the one in this example. Which group do you want to be in? And that's the question I have for you this morning. What, what group do you really want to be in? Let's look really at Jesus and the disciples. Before I wrap up here, just a little bit more. Jesus and his disciples. From among those early followers who had evidenced their faith in him, Jesus chose 70. And sent them out. Two by twos, he sent them out. Later, after a night of prayer, he chose 12 to be with him for training, to learn his ways and by the Holy Spirit upon him. And within those 12, there emerged the circle of three with whom Jesus was especially intimate, right? They were closer to him than any of the others. So within the circle of three, there is even one who appropriated that special place next to Jesus' heart. And through him, the disciples channeled questions to the Master. Ask him this. John even reports it in chapter 13. He, leaning back on Jesus' breast, was that person closest to you during the meal. You know, they sat, they ate reclining off the back fence. That person is right up there next to you. Seventy, twelve, three, one. In which group will you be found? Each of the disciples was as close to Jesus as he chose to be. The Son of God has no favorites, right? G. Campbell Morgan wrote concerning these three guys that there can be no doubt that these men, Peter, James, and John, were the most remarkable in the apostolate. Peter loved him. John, he loved. And James was the first 
to seal his testimony with his own blood. Even their blunders proved their strength. They were men of enterprise, men who wanted thrones, men who wanted places of power. All mistaken ideas, all of them. Yet proving that they had a capacity for holding the keys of the kingdom. These three were with Jesus on four special occasions where they learned some intimate lessons, some precious lessons that these three got and shared with us in his word, but that the 12 and the 70 didn't. First one is in Luke 8.51. They saw Jesus demonstrate his power over death in the raising of Jairus' daughter. And they saw his gentleness and compassion for that little girl. In Matthew 17, on the Mount of Transfiguration, these three gained clearer insight into the importance of his impending death. Now, they didn't really get it completely, but they also had a preview of his glory and majesty. John recalls in uh, chapter 1, verse 14, that we beheld his glory. And Peter even writes in 2 Peter that we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. A little more intimate, a higher level of intimacy. Experience that. In Mark 13, on the Mount of Olives is our third one. They marveled at his prophetic discernment as he shared with them the sweep of the divine purposes of the inner secrets of God. And finally, in Matthew 26, we see in the Garden of Gethsemane, they caught a glimpse of the cost of their salvation and the suffering of the Savior. Though even then, they're at a loss to interpret his agony. Those were some of the privileges of the inner circle, of those that were willing to pay the price to be closer, to have that intimate relationship. Could any of the twelve have been among that favored group? Were these three specially selected by the Lord? Again, I say there is no favoritism. Their relationship with him was the result of their own choice. Maybe even unconscious, consciously or unconsciously. I think there's a little bit of both. It's a sobering thought that you and I are also as close to Christ as we choose to be. The deepening intimacy of these three with Jesus was the result of the depth of their response to his love and training. They recognized that intimacy with him involved responsibility. The master told them that whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. In Mark 3, he's telling us that there are some ties that are closer, even than those of family. What excluded some disciples from this inner circle? If it's perfection, then Peter wouldn't have been in, right? The denier. And James and John, the fire-breathing sons of thunders, probably wouldn't have got in either if it was perfection. So it wasn't that. They were included. Maybe it's temperament. But if it's temperament, then certainly Peter wouldn't have got in, and James and John also wouldn't have been able to get in. 
How did John get so close to Jesus? And my answer is, it was love that drew John into a deeper intimacy with Jesus than the other disciples. Jesus loved them all, but John alone appropriated this title of the disciple whom Jesus loved. Pretty cool. It's an option for you and I today. It is. It wasn't a one-time only thing. Now he's given us the Holy Spirit. Now he dwells among us. Admission to level four, the inner circle of deepening intimacy with God, is the outcome of deep desire. Only those who count this intimacy as a prize worth sacrificing anything else for will be able to obtain it. So the place on Jesus' breast is still vacant and open for any of us this morning. Any who are willing to pay the price of deepening intimacy. What will it cost you? What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to do? Do you, know, you remember like in high school when you really liked that girl? And all the things you would do in order to get closer. Or all the wardrobe changes you made, ladies, to make sure you were wearing what you thought was best when that guy picked you up, right? We, do, we, we, we make changes to ourselves in the hopes of getting this. One of the struggles of marriage is that once that chase is over, we tend to slack off on that. Intimacy is paying that price. What are you willing to do? And this is so much more significant, so much more important. Do you want to know God face to face? Friend to friend? Mouth to mouth? Close so close that you can, you're there. How do we get there? Huh? I don't think it's just desire because we desire a lot of things that we don't have. We're often willing to just live with that desire. We need to take practical steps. And you've got to prayerfully figure out what those are for you. God's Spirit will reveal to you what you need to lie down, what you need to lay down so that you can get closer to Him. Maybe next time Netflix asks you if you're still watching, turn it off and go spend some time with God. Right? In fact, here's a challenge. Start tracking your TV and screen time. I dare you. Start tracking how much time you spend watching television, watching streaming movies, and, and, and documentaries and TV shows. You know, the Nielsen uh, says the average American watches four hours of TV per day, 28 hours a week. So here's my challenge. Just tithe that. Give 10% of that back to God. Six minutes out of every hour. Track it and give him six minutes. 24 minutes a day if you're like the average. Less than three hours a week to focus on your relationship and knowing God, His character. You do that by spending time in His Word, spending time in prayer, drawing close, and getting rid of those things that stand in the way. Will you invest 24 minutes a day, two to three hours a week to get closer to God, to develop a more intimate relationship? Well, here's the reality. You are, right now, 
close to God as you want to be. If you want to be closer, you need to choose to. My hope and prayer is that you're willing to pay that price. Don't take it lightly. Go for it. Commit your desire to take the steps to draw closer to Him. That's what I'm going to do. Check me on it later. See how I'm doing. I need that kind of follow-up and accountability. Thanks so much. That's it for this morning. God bless you. I'm so happy to be able to share with you.